if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Where would we go now? It's eight minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for joining us as hour number two is underway on this uh, Thursday, the seventh morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2021. We'll try to get right back to some phone calls if we can, but we do have a guest. Our regular Thursday guest is going to hopefully impart some wisdom, wisdom upon us as we watched our country take a very, very drastic turn yesterday in Washington, D.C., with the Capitol building being stormed by outraged Trump supporters perhaps spurred in fact not even perhaps i think it has been fairly well proven in the last 12 hours spurred by antifa infiltrators acting as agents provocateur uh all of that deserves our attention and we're going to ask dr piper now to give us that uh dr uh, everett piper is a podcast uh, radio host in oklahoma he is a past university president he's a best-selling author and he's also a weekly columnist for the washington times doctor good morning good morning how you doing bob well, I'm trying to process, Dr. Piper. That's how I'm doing. I'm trying to make sense of everything. I was trying to do it yesterday. Uh, initial reactions of, oh, my gosh, shock and outrage. We can't do that. We must not become what we despise. Uh, we despise riots and vandalism in the name of righteous indignation when it's con- conducted on one side of the ide- ideological scale. We certainly cannot condone it when it's uh, happening on our side. But then learning so a little bit more of the facts about um, – provocation and and uh instigators infiltrating the uh, the crowd so uh, just trying to make sense of it all right now tell me how you made sense of it tell me what your reactions were as you watched this play out live yesterday well i i uh first thing i want to make very clear is i think if you're a conservative you believe in conserving those enduring ideas and principles that matter and one of the things that we conserve is the rule of law conservatives believe in natural law, conservatives believe in common law, conservatives believe in common sense, conservatives believe that you can't have liberty if you don't have the sense of law to give you that liberty. Again, back to my constant quote of G.K. Chesterton, if you get rid of big laws, you don't get liberty, you get lots of little laws, and in fact, what that in its, its, its extreme means is you get anarchy because you get a law unto every man, and that's what we on our nation's capital. So for any conservative listening to your show right now and listening to my response to your question, conservatives believe in conserving the law. 
Conservatives believe that when people break the law, they should be arrested, they should be prosecuted, and they should be kept in jail and suffer the consequences of their behavior. And I hear a lot of people out there, Bob, saying, yeah, but it's time for a revolution. Really? Really? If you believe it's time for a revolution, an armed revolution, then why in the world are 80% of you bowing down and wearing a mask because somebody just told you to? Why are 80% of you agreeing to let the government dictate every aspect of your life down to the point where you do and don't go to church? So are you really ready to pick up arms and go to battle when you bowed the knee so quickly to government largesse? So I don't have a lot of patience with those that are saying, you know, you'll pry this gun from my cold, dead hands when I think it's... First of all, revolutions, Mark Meckler said it very well yesterday, revolutions historically end badly. The United States Revolution was a bloody revolution, and it ended well because it was grounded in a Judeo-Christian assumption. The French Revolution is more the norm and the model. The Bolshevik Revolution is more the norm and the model. The, um, the revolution in China, the communist revolution in China, is more the norm and the model. These revolutions are the ones that we should be looking to, and I don't think that many of the American people, conservative, liberal, progressive, are ready for that, and a house divided against itself cannot stand anyway. So we need to back up, and I think, as you just said, we can't use the broken tactics and embrace the broken worldview, the lies of the left, and expect to win. We have to be better than that. We do. Um, I, I, I would... Follow up on part of what you just said, Dr. Piper, by, by saying, I suspect that the people who decided to storm the Capitol yesterday, in fact, maybe the hundreds of thousands who decided to go to D.C. yesterday to join the president in challenging the, the certification of the election, which, again, was largely 99% peaceful, this crowd. Um, but I would suspect most of them are with you. They don't wear the masks. They don't listen to the, uh, you know, uh, you know, bow and, and bend the knee at every order by the government, which is why they were there in the first place. I think there are millions and millions of Americans, obviously, as you said, who have 80% of them or whatever the number may be. I think the people who were there yesterday trying to be heard, uh, were the people who are probably part of the 20% who don't. I, I agree. And I think everybody who was there, and and behaving within the law should have been there. I applaud them, and I kind of wish I was there. I wish I would have taken the time and spent the money to go there and express myself with all those other patriots, patriots who believe. I supported it on the radio. Yeah, I help people organize their bus. Uh, you know, the bus times and everything. So I, but yeah, I. T- go, this is this is what this country is built upon: our First Amendment absolutely. right to be heard, to re- to to petition the government with the redress of our grievances. We we absolutely have a right to be there. Obviously, our rights end when we start breaking the law. And I think your commentary on the conservation of law and order is spot on. This is what we do whenever they talk about abolishing the police. Whenever there are riots in other cities that we have seen, or even when it's an individual confrontation with an officer, what do we say? We say comply and everything will be fine. There will not be anyone hurt if you comply with the officers. Well, yesterday... Many of our people, again, perhaps instigated by those on the left, decided not to comply with the officers, not to comply with the law and law and order, and said, we're doing what we feel you know, right about doing at this moment. I'm sorry, continue. Spot on, spot on. Conservatives believe in operating within the parameters that we have. Now, there are times, there are times, we've had a civil war where we defended the dignity of every human being and the freedom that our Constitution promised them. We 
can point to the American Revolution and that Thomas Jefferson and George Washington at all stood against the law of England and stood against the king and the government of England. Yes, we can point to that. But Meckler is exactly right. And Mark Meckler, Convention of the States guy, he said, we need to recognize that most revolutions, the Napoleonic Revolution, the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, most revolutions end very badly and end up giving totalitarians more power rather than less. The magic of the American Revolution is the fact that we are a Christian nation. And for those people out there, and I'll take a breath after this one, but I'm sick and tired of evangelical evangelicals criticizing. There's a young evangelical leader from the Wesleyan Church in Indianapolis who went online yesterday ranting against all of us that are conservative, accusing us of being Christian nationalists. Well, what, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? Up until five minutes ago, the word nationalist was essentially a synonym for patriotism. It's been dumbed down by the progressive left to somehow mean something nefarious and bad. But what is nationalism? Is nationalism the belief that we should secure our national borders? Is it the belief that we have a national anthem? Is it the belief in a national flag and a national motto and a national defense? What is nationalism? Is it the belief in American exceptionalism and and being proud of your nation? Is that nationalism? And if so, I plead guilty. So don't accuse me of somehow being a Christian nationalist, as if somehow that is a nefarious and evil thing without defining your terms. And that's what the progressive left is notorious for doing. Uh, I'm on a rant there, and I go off on a rabbit trail, but I think we need to understand that we need to fight the battle for ideas before we even consider fighting the battle with arms. Uh, that's very well said, and you can rant all you want about that. I think that's spot on, and uh, and I'm happy to follow you down that rabbit hole. Um, Dr. Piper, I want to ask you another question about this event yesterday, and then after our break we'll talk a little bit about uh, another issue, which is the aban- abandonment um, of faith, quite frankly, and the attempt to turn uh, even faith into uh, an identity political movement. And, of course, we're speaking of a man and a woman. But uh, I want to ask your opinion about the president. Um, he's being lambasted by even some of his supporters for instigating yesterday's events. I don't subscribe to that point of view. I think he was telling people to be heard, the 74 million of us who feel like the election was not held justly and that the outcome was manipulated. Um, go be heard is different than go and, and tear down the Congress and, and, and breach the Capitol building. But he is being condemned by people on all sides. In fact, many of his staff have resigned as a result of what happened yesterday. Do you hold President Trump accountable in any way for incitement? The way, again, even some on the right um, are blaming him for the over, you know, the the outrage that led to yesterday's perhaps overreaction to everything. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. You and I could have a good debate on this one, a good friendly debate like conservatives do, okay, with truth judging our disagreement rather than our uh, temper tantrums. I think Trump is partially responsible because he's a terrible communicator. Uh, I I mean, if he would have said what you just said, (laughs) then then fine. But he didn't communicate it that way. He didn't say, I've we are going to. I, I want to I assure all of you, the millions of you that are going to come to Washington, D.C., to protest what we all believe was a fraudulent election, I'm going to encourage you to come. But I also, as your president, am telling you, 
Do not resort to the tactics of the left. Come and be peaceful. And if we don't prevail, we need to stand for an orderly transition. If he would have said that, then he can't be held responsible. But he didn't because he doesn't communicate that way. He communicates more like an angry teenager at times than he does a mature, thoughtful, articulate adult. That's my view. I probably made a lot of your listeners mad, but... That's where I come down on Trump. Sometimes. I don't think that's radical, though. I don't think that's a radical position for you to take. I mean, the, President Trump has been many, many great things to many, many, uh, you know, millions of Americans, really to all of us for four years. But one thing he is not great at is communicating. You're right. I mean, that's why so many people have a problem with his Twitter rants and Twitter storms. Uh, and so many people have a problem with the way he actually articulates things. You know, Barack Obama was a gifted orator, a terrific communicator. He just had horrific ideas and visions for what a free capitalist country should be. That's why we opposed him. President Trump supports a free and capitalist country, but he is just very, very poor at articulating things uh, in, in a way that will be, you know, will be listened to. So I get your point. Um, and, and perhaps he could have been better in, in telling people not to go uh, and, and, uh, and act the way that many of them did. But I, I don't know that he has a crystal ball. I don't know that he expected them to do anything more than what they have done at his rallies, which is chant, lock them up, maybe lock up Joe Biden, Kamala Harris for this theft. Maybe a lot, you know, the chanting that has gone on at rallies and at events and things like that is kind of what he thrives on. I, I don't believe at all that he foresaw them going down to actually storm the Capitol building and, and literally breach it. Go outside the Capitol. Let those who are inside right now holding this certification hearing hear you. Let them hear you chanting and doing your thing. But nobody, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't hold him accountable for an action that I don't think he could have foreseen, which is, you know, smashing windows and breaking through the Capitol. Well, I know you need to take a break, and I'll be very brief. I think you've got a legitimate point. But I think if you would have been communicating that message, then the end result would have been positive. I think Donald Trump communicating whatever message it was that led to this scenario is a broken, often adolescent (laughs) tone of communication rather than one that's mature. And he could have led. He could have led rather than reacting. And now what we have is a bunch of conservatives trying to react to this black mark that we have on our character where we're the ones being accused of BLM and Antifa tactics rather than us being being able to say, hey, that's not us. We don't do that. You know the irony of all of that, Dr. Piper, is it's his you know, air quotes, adolescent tone and his style of communication that I think has made him so popular with the throngs, of, you know, and millions and millions of people who support him. If he spoke more eloquently and more, you know, uh, articulately or whatever we're talking about here, he might not rile up the masses to be like, go Trump and be the vocal and, uh, you know, supporters and voters that they have been. All right, let's take that break now. We'll come back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1025, got five good minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper. Don't forget, Peter Kirsten now joins me at 1035 after the bottom of the hour news. Dr. Piper, I want to hit this because this is a subject that you and I talk about a lot, and we talk about uh, the intersection of faith and politics, and we talk about the uh, importance of remembering uh, biblical principles and, quite frankly, combining them with scientific principles. The deconstruction of woman has been a theme of yours for a very, very long time. I want to hit you with Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who, who 
um, uh, uh, began the swearing-in of the 117th Congress with this prayer and ending on this note. By many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. We have all heard it by now. We have all laughed at it because of the insanity of it. Amen is not gendered or, or meant to be masculine. Amen is a Hebrew word. It is translated from the Latin as well as so be it or so it shall be, something to that effect. Uh, but he tried to make this a man and a woman, taking the gender fight uh, into prayer and into uh, the swearing out of the Congress. I knew you'd have a reaction. I just don't know what it is. Go ahead. Well, it's asinine. It's just asinine. It's just crazy. And here's the thing. I'm going to define the word asinine for everybody right now. When I say asinine on your radio station, I am not calling anybody an ass. I am not cursing. The word asinine, because it sounds like the word ass or jackass, has nothing to do with that. That's not the etymology of the word. It's like saying exegesis when you exegete the scripture that somehow you're referring to Jesus. It's not spelled that way, even though it sounds that way. My land. Do we not understand how to even use the English language? And this guy has a seminary degree, and he's a Methodist pastor. He should be ashamed of himself. John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist Church, are rolling over in their graves because they believed in the authority of Scripture. They believed in the dignity of the human being, and they believed that in his image, God created us male and female, and they also believed in Hebrew Arabic and Latin, and defining our terms accurately. A woman is nonsense. It makes no sense, and it's an insult to the female, because at the same time this man is closing out a session of Congress by saying a man and a woman, and by the way, he defined God as Brahma, okay, before he said that, and said that Brahma was monotheistic. Excuse me, it's not. It's Hindu, and Hindus have over 300 million gods. Not one. That's not monotheistic. This guy has lost his marbles, and he is trying to politicize language to the extent to the extent that you can't even communicate any longer. And I was going to say this. I'll go back to Nancy Pelosi. At the same time, in the same Congress, that this guy is talking this nonsense, you have Pelosi proposing rules which will now pass, which will expunge all gender-specific references to the male and female, words like father and daughter and mother and niece and nephew are now verboten within the United States Congress. So you can't say father, but you can make up some stupid word like a woman, which butchers language and the ability to even communicate accurately. You, you know, the, the frustrating part about it is is the um, the disconnect, I guess. You're not allowed to use those terms that identify sex, you know, or gender, uh, as you just described. And yet they make a point of saying amen and a woman and indeed using those very terms. So this pastor, who I think was probably nodding to the, the speaker's new set of rules, uh, by trying to, you know, eliminate gender, essentially identify gender. So there's just such a disconnect between their own messaging. They can't, they can't communicate their values without assuming the very biblical worldview that they disavow. That's the interesting thing, and that's the irony of the social justice movement. There is no justice without a judge, and that judge has to be spelled with a capital J. In other words, it's God. Otherwise, justice doesn't exist. It digresses and it disintegrates into nothing but anarchy if there is no 
truth with a capital T, no judge with a capital J, if there is no law with a capital L, if we don't have those, those big laws, Chesterton, if we don't have the common sense and natural law that our, that our country is founded upon, if we aren't a Christian nation, and if we don't believe in the national pride, the nationalism of being grounded in that biblical ethic, we are lost. Dr. Everett Piper, I knew I'd get a great reaction from you. Thank you. And I love the definition of asinine as well. Doctor, thank you. Uh, it's a tough time. We're all going through right now. It's only going to get tougher, but I know that uh, you and I can lean on one another to come up with some solutions, and I look forward to doing that again starting next week. All right. Blessings. Thank you, Doctor. That's Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1030, time for news. Peter Kersenow analyzes Georgia on Tuesday and the chaos in Washington yesterday and perhaps the path forward coming up on 1420 The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Indeed, and we do continue now at 1035, reaction to so many things that we have observed over the course of the last 48 hours, not just 24. I do want to go back to Tuesday night's results of the uh, Georgia runoff elections as well. On Tuesday morning, I told Peter Kersenow we may call on him for a second time this week to react to these things, and uh, that time has come, and he was willing enough to do so. So Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, as well as the President's 1776 Commission, and best-selling author and Cleveland attorney, back with us again. Hi, Pete. Okay, I'm not hearing Pete. Hello, Bob. Can you hear me? Yep, got you now. Sorry about that. Don't know what happened. Okay, Peter Kirsten, now uh, I want to go in reverse chronological order. I do want to leave time, though, for Georgia on Tuesday night. I was going to start with Georgia and then talk about the election uh, certification fight on the House floor yesterday that turned into a literal fight outside of the chambers. Uh, so let's go there, since that is certainly the more pressing issue. Pete, I've laid out my uh, opinion on what happened, how it happened, and why it happened, and what our response should be. I'm going to ask you for yours and start, if you would, Peter, with what you felt and thought as it played out live uh, yesterday as you were watching the images, if you were able to be watching the images in the middle of the workday uh, of the uh, storming of the Capitol. What was, what was going through your head, Peter? Yeah, probably the same thing that went through the head of every conservative that I know, and that is that, number one, we unequivocally condemn it, whoever did it. And knowing how the media spins things, Look, I'm going to suspend judgment for a while as to how this all began. I suspect that there were conservatives involved, and it appeared to be the case. I don't, I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists like the left does that says that, you know, we salted conservatives into Antifa riots. I think there's a very good probability, though, because based on past events, we've seen the same thing happen with Antifa being infiltrated into these things. But nonetheless... Conservatives were involved. The woman who was shot and killed, unfortunately, appeared to be a conservative, a Trump supporter, so conservatives were involved. I don't know of any conservatives who haven't condemned it in contradistinction to all of the riots and looting that occurred for six months that were not simply not condemned, but were actively supported by the left. And, and I don't mean to engage in whataboutism. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. Um, for your listeners, I'll tell you my opinion with respect to this means by which you shut down debate where the left always says, oh, you're just engaging in whataboutism. And in fact, a lot of never Trump type folks say, we're just engaging in, engaging in whataboutism. Whataboutism is a one-way liberal ratchet. It's an attempt to silence you so you don't 
there, there's never an occasion in which things are exactly equal, never. But they don't want you to say, well, wait a minute, Pelosi, uh, you know, Schumer, uh, Ayan Presley Ali, um, Harris, all of them never condemned, never condemned, in fact, supported six months worth of rioting and looting, billions in property damage, scores of people killed. And they didn't simply say, no, you shouldn't do this. They simply said, it, it, Pelosi said, I don't know why there isn't more of this. Harris right. even gave bail money to these people. Now, again, this is something that we should not abandon. We shouldn't allow the left to disarm us by saying, don't engage in whataboutism. We condemn what happened yesterday. Everybody knows it because that's what we do as conservatives. We engage in peaceful discourse, abide by the rule of law. But this is a pressure cooker, Bob, that's been boiling for a long time. You and I have been talking about it. When you don't have other means of address readily available. Now, number one, we do. We have means of address, but they have been in large measure uh, stunted, muted. For example, one means of address is simply being able to use in a legitimate practical form, your First Amendment rights. You know, what we have seen, again, this is part of a pressure cooker of a release. Uh, let me go back for a second and simply say as a premise that half of Americans, nearly half of Americans believe this election was fraudulent. Yet we have a lot of elected officials, people in responsible positions, including Republicans, who seem to be very, you know, blasé about this. We don't see the kind of intensity that tens of millions of Americans feel about the loss of the franchise. We see with our own eyes something that is inexplicable, and all we're asking for is someone to credibly address this and not suppress it and say that we're all lunatics for believing something went wrong, whether or not it would change the outcome of election. But we don't have that address because, number one, we're suppressed, we're, talk we're, we're being told we're lunatics, we're deplatformed. Not by the government necessarily, but by the effective means of communication in 21st century America. Twitter, Facebook, all the media, which constantly now we know just simply, in fact, doesn't even, you know, just distort the truth. They flat out lie to us. We understand, I understand the frustration of millions of Americans because I feel that same frustration and that pressure cooker is going to continue to build. It's part of a continuum. You can't be cheerleading for riots and looting and mayhem for six months and expect that you can then turn it off when you want to. Where were all those individuals, including half of CNN, who seemed to be cheerleading for these riots, who seemed to be saying these were mostly peaceful protests when they had buildings burning behind them? Where were they before? Yeah. As if all of a sudden you can turn that spigot off and they don't understand the frustration of ordinary Americans. Good law-abiding Americans. You and I know them. They call into your program. These are individuals who are doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, cops, military folks, the people who make the country work and run. The people who stay quiet, keep their heads down, do what they're supposed to do. And they're being told, you guys are deplorables, you're racists, you know, your, your vote, we suspect, may not even count. We don't know because we don't have it addressed. It is an extraordinary position we're being in today, and it's not going to go away. I'm, I'm, I want it to go away. We have to be, be very measured in our statements. That doesn't mean, as I'm just, you know, I'm going on right now in a rant, but we have to be measured in terms of not doing anything that's inflammatory or, or insightful, but we have to give people 
a means or mechanism to vent frustrations, to explore whether or not irregularities occurred, to actually exercise the franchise in a way that gives us some confidence that it's meaningful. And I think that's what you saw yesterday when you saw what appeared to me to be, and although the media didn't show it and they didn't report about it, it looked like hundreds of thousands of Americans going down there to protest. And then a couple of hundred, and I don't mean to diminish it, this should be condemned forthrightly, but I wish those condemnations had begun when riots began. Back in May and June, Bob, you and I were condemning the riots. Lots of other people were condemning the riots. But the mainstream media, which controls 95% of all public discourse these days, and by that I'm including Twitter and Facebook and, and social media, they were either oblivious to it or they were cheerleading it outright. And then they think, okay, we can shut that off. They are, by suppressing free speech and the ability to vent our grievances, by also going after the First Amendment with respect to religious observance, allowing us to mediate our various disagreements with respect to a higher power, I mean, my goodness, we want also legal means of address. Now, it has, it's true, we filed, a, there's been a number of lawsuits filed, all dismissed. I think one of the frustrations that people have is they can't figure out why they were dismissed. Most of them were dismissed on jurisdictional grounds, standing grounds, things of that nature. When people say that the matter was litigated, I have to disagree um, respectfully with our friend Hugh Hewitt, who I heard when I was driving this morning say, all these matters have been litigated. No, they have not been. I'm not sure what Hugh's definition of litigation is. I really don't. I've only been practicing for four decades, longer than Hugh has. I know what litigation is. I, I am a litigator. Most of these things were dismissed. On, some of them were inexplicable, I will tell you. Now, I will confess, I am not the solon of constitutional law, but I know a little bit about it. And some of these things kind of baffled me, but I'm willing to go along with it. Um, you know, there were standing issues, there were whole uh, manner of issues. But the bottom line is, we don't know whether or not what happened was supposed to happen pursuant to the mechanisms established by the Founding Fathers. There's a legitimate reason for people to be curious about that. That curiosity should be expressed by a legal mechanism, not what happened yesterday, which, again, we roundly condemn. That's what conservatives do. Right. But it's extraordinary yeah, people, to people, all of people us. Should be, people should be curious about that, and people should be furious about that, and that's okay to be furious and to go to Washington to vent. I helped organize to a very limited extent. I got on the radio and I shared information about the buses when they were leaving for people to get on board and so forth. I supported people going down there to be heard, but that is where it was supposed to stop with being heard, right. not being felt, not being smashed, not having fence lines being broken down, not having police being pushed past, not be having, having uh, the Capitol being breached. So to that end, Peter, I need to ask you, uh, you are an ardent Trump supporter. You were not at the beginning, just like me. You have become one, just like me. Now this morning, we are listening to um, both the left and the right blaming Donald Trump for what happened at the Capitol yesterday, saying that he whipped that crowd into a frenzy uh, on the mall before uh, they all marched down to Capitol Hill, uh, and uh, and that he bears the blame for this. And in fact... Not only are both sides condemning him for this, there are calls for, uh, including among, at least according to a couple of news reports that I read, uh, citing uh, unnamed Republican cabinet members, Trump cabinet members, they are talking about the 25th Amendment, even though his uh, term ends in 13 days, getting him out now. 
Uh, Mick Mulvaney quit today. Jennifer Grisham quit today. Other Trump staffers and appointees are reportedly also going to resign today. So it seems like everybody is fleeing the ship. How much, if any, blame do you think the president deserves for what just happened? Um, I'll say this. I don't believe the media. And that's one of the pressure cooker items I was talking about anymore. They've been reporting things that when I listen, I'm, I've been trying to find what Trump's... Now, well, let me back up and say, I think the president should have been more circumspect. I think he should have been able, understanding after four years of the manner in which he's been you know, not as articulate as he could be. You should understand that there were hundreds of thousands of extremely passionate supporters out there and that there was a possibility something could go wrong. And I think he should have taken prophylactic measures and I think he should have been more circumspect in the manner of speech. But I looked at what he supposedly was saying. I looked at what he said beforehand to Twitter, and I'm still mystified as to what incendiary comments he made. If what he said was incendiary, then my goodness, what Democrats have been saying for several years now are far more incendiary. What they've been doing in terms of a slow motion coup, far more incendiary. I'm not absolving Trump of any blame because he is the commander in chief and he has, I think, a super responsibility. And by that, I mean one that goes beyond that of the ordinary um, uh, politician to make sure that things are peaceful, especially when he understands the passion that's undergirding what's going on, what we saw yesterday. He should have been more mature about that. So I blame him for that. But that being said, I think we're getting a hyperbolic reaction as usual. No, not hyperbolic. We're getting propaganda as we have gotten for four years. Let's be speak plainly about this stuff and that what the left likes to do is to cow us into curbing our statements curbing our thoughts so that we're not expressing them plainly we are being propagandized and have been for quite some time it is they've been over it lately and i'm i'm wondering what is it if this were if barack obama could have said the same thing and riots could have occurred and they would not have blamed it on obama even if you look at Trump's history, like when they well, lied about just that him part, with Pete, let, me, let me add this and get your reaction to that, too. It's not just what President Trump did. <clears throat> what they are condemning him for yesterday is what he didn't do, and that is didn't come out with that video or that tweet early enough that uh, by, by the time he cut the video saying people go home, uh, the damage was already done, the Capitol had been breached, et cetera, et cetera. So they're saying he didn't act quickly enough. And the frustrating thing for me is, and it goes right back to what you were just saying about Biden, or in, in your example, Obama. Biden watched this, these cities burned all summer long, and these are Biden voters. These are Biden voters in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis and in Oakland and all the other places where these uh, terrible riots happened time and time again, Kenosha, Wisconsin. These are Biden voters. These are Biden people. These are far-left BLM and Antifa Democrats, and Joe Biden said nothing all summer long as he hid in that basement until toward the very end when he said, uh, we condemn violence from everybody, not even specifically identifying those who we're committing it on the large scale, but saying no matter who it is, in other words, also implicating people on the right. So so how they can, again, use that double standard to hold Donald Trump to a higher um, you know, standard, I guess, or for the redundancy, than they did Biden, that's frustrating. Yeah, uh, look, I, I'm not going to exonerate Trump, but he's not to blame for what these individuals did. And again, I don't know who these individuals are. There were conservatives, and there may have been some Antifa folks mixed in, regardless of who they, they are. They should be there condemned. definitely were Antifa folks there. But let's, let's that, that's, keep that's in been mind, proven by a number of things, yeah. 
Okay, I'm, I'm not aware of that, but I suspected it from the very beginning. But but the fact of the matter is that we one of the reasons I said about this continuum and this pressure cooker is we have a double standard, and the left tries to tell us we may not. We, we can't even recognize, we can't even point out this double standard. And if we aren't allowed to do this, this type of suppression is going to continue to boil over. That's why people like me, others who are in positions where we at least have a voice, try to tamp these things down. But by the same token, the best way of tamping down violence is to provide a means by which people can express themselves, can vent their frustrations in a legitimate fashion, and they are suppressing people from doing something like that. And what do they expect? Every revolution is different. I hear historians or amateur historians on the radio and television all the time saying, well, this is comparable to, you know, the, the Panamanian Revolution. This is cam- it, No, every single one, in my estimation at least, and I've done a fair examination of history, um, Every single one has a different component. They all have certain common components, but what's interesting here is for the first time in history, we have a number of elements in play that we haven't seen in the United States of America ever. This one is, again, this suppression of avenues of, of expression and an almost indoctrination in terms of what you're allowed to say and can't say, whether it's in schools with this indoctrination that's going in schools, these critical race trainings and employment, wherever you have me, you have to be careful about what you say. That is un-American. The re- one of the reasons the Founding Fathers knew we needed a First Amendment, a robust First Amendment, is one, to, to relieve the pressure cooker, speech is one of the best ways of doing that. And yet they're depriving people of doing that, and we're telling us we're all crazy for wondering what the heck is going on. We need means of, re- of redress. We need means to examine whether or not our suspicions are well-founded, and they're merely telling us we're deplorable racist for even thinking that that's the case. We are not going to be able to resolve these tensions until such time as we have a meaningful com- conversation and one side doesn't call the other side names. And right now, the other side has all the mechanisms by which to call someone names. They control virtually that's right. everything. They con- that's right. They control. They control the the ability to suppress speech uh, in in all forms, and that's uh, a very dangerous thing. As are many other things coming now that uh, the Georgia uh, runoff elections happened. We'll have to wait until next time, Pete. On Tuesday, we will talk about what is to come in an America run solely by one far left party, both chambers of Congress and the White House. We'll do that then. Peter Kirsten, thank you so much for your time this morning. Take care, Bob. All right, that's Peter Kirsten out 1053. We'll try to squeeze a call or two in before the top. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. FM and on radio.com. All right, let's get a couple of phone calls in here before we are done this morning. And I really appreciate everybody's attention and participation in this uh, really unprecedented event, almost unprecedented anyway, yesterday in D.C. We'll go to um, Audrey, who is from North Royalton on AM 1420, The Answer. Audrey, go right ahead. Okay, I'm going to try to control myself, but I want to let you know who was there because... Your narrative is so wrong. First of all, we could hardly hear Trump. 
and we sat out there, or stayed out there for an hour, and as 500,000 people marched to that Capitol, I'm going to tell you who was there, Bob Prince. Thousands and thousands of veterans were there. And if you had seen a young man running up those steps on his leg, made out of nuts and bolts, carrying an American flag with an arm that was made out of nuts and bolts, and if you want to say that there was just a few hundred that went into that building, well, I can tell you right now, they were supported by probably about 500,000 people out there, thousands of vets who were out there breaching the building because the people inside now had taken away the very thing that those vets had fought for, lost friends, lost arms and legs. And you're on your radio show saying that they were like criminals. Well, maybe you can go find that vet and have him arrested, Pop France, and bring them to justice. Because what we saw out there were American people, and inside were the elitist politicians who were deciding the very thing taken away with those heads. And how many windows were broke? We don't hear that. How papers. And when they brought out that coat rack, everybody just laughed. These people were not the violent thugs that your radio show right now. And if you want to say only a few people supported those people out there, well, I can tell you right now that there were hundreds of thousands of people who supported those people going into that capital. Audrey, listen, I appreciate your passion and your your emotion, but and thank you for your phone call, but I will say this. I believe that 500,000 people, if that's what the number was, disagreed with those people storming the capital. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a few hundred. There would have been 500,000. Those 500,000, including vets in that crowd, stayed peaceful because they believe in what they fought for. They believe in the law and order. They believe in restraint. They believe in fighting the fight the right way, not breaking laws. They do not believe in breaking laws. They do not believe in breaking through police lines. They do not believe in those things. That's why those vets stayed in the crowd of 500,000 peaceful people. If they agreed with storming the Capitol, they would have all stormed the Capitol. It was only a few who did. And those people cannot be allowed to do that. And I would submit to you that most veterans that I know would have said the exact same thing. This is not the country that we fought uh, for and that we sacrificed for to allow anarchy to reign uh, at the Capitol. I do not believe that. But again, I do appreciate your position and your passion and your emotion. Navy man Norm is one of those veterans. He's in Strongsville on AM 1420, The Answer. Norm, I've got one minute, my friend, and it's all yours. Go ahead. They do what they do. July 9th, 2020, Nancy Pelosi on BLM and Antifa rioters. They do what they do. And now they're going to cry and whine about what happened at the Capitol? Are they going to cry about Ashley Babbitt, the 14-year-old Air Force veteran? who was shot in the neck by a cowardly Capitol Police officer. Bob, I am beyond I am beyond uh, thinking logically. I just opened up the mail this morning, and I see a new initiative. Norm, 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 I'm out of time, my friend. I've got to go, but I want you to call back tomorrow with some logical or illogical thinking, whatever it is you want to express. But I am out of time now. Mike Gallagher is next. Be safe, my friends. We'll see you tomorrow.